Welcome to ESA Explorers, an official podcast of the European Space Agency. You're listening to our Beyond series. In this series, we take you behind the scenes of ESA astronaut Luca Parmitano's second mission to the International Space Station. I'm Ali Kohler. And I'm Stephen Ennis. Let's go beyond. I can hardly believe that it's been almost six months since Luca was launched to the International Space Station for his Beyond mission. Luca has been pretty busy in that time. He has supported over 50 European experiments in microgravity, played the first DJ set from space, become the third European and first Italian commander of the International Space Station. Luca also led multiple spacewalks to service the dark matter hunting Alpha Magnetic Spectrometer, AMS-02. At the time of this recording, there's just one more AMS spacewalk expected. So the maintenance is almost complete. Luca also showed Paul McCartney how to make coffee in space. Now I'm sure Paul McCartney already knew how to make coffee, but if you listen to their interaction, I think they both got something out of it. It's called the potable water uh, distribution system. And what we do, we plug our little uh, uh, bag in here, and then we say how much water we want. And uh, we, we push the button, and it starts sealing up. And now I'm going to have coffee. I, don't, I know you, you British people prefer, prefer tea, but I'm Italian, so I, gotta have, I have to have my coffee. Yeah, I like coffee too. And now teams on the ground are getting ready to welcome Luca back to Earth. As it turns out, there's a lot to consider. As well as the logistics of collecting Luca from his landing site in Kazakhstan in winter and returning him to the MVHAB Medical Research Facility in Cologne, Germany, his ESA colleagues also need to think about how Luca might be feeling after a ride in a Soyuz and six months in space. Recently, we caught up with ESA flight surgeon for Luca's mission, physician Maybrick Kuypers, to discuss just that. Typically, flight surgeons aren't pilots and don't usually perform surgery, but they are essential to helping astronauts like Luca stay healthy. You can think of them a bit like the personal doctors of our friends in space. Let's find out a little bit more about what that involves. Right, welcome today to Maybrit Kuypers. So Maybrit is a flight surgeon here at uh, ESA and she takes care of the astronauts before, during and after their missions. And I also see she's an emergency and wilderness medicine physician. So let me start by asking you, Maybrit, uh, first of all, welcome. <laughs> but also, can you just tell us a little bit about what a flight surgeon is and what you do? So a flight surgeon has... Uh, multiple roles. I would say the main task we have is really to ensure the health of our ESA astronauts throughout their career, basically starting from the selection through uh, their training phases and then, of course, mission support. And mission support consists usually of a lot of medical screenings uh, right before the mission, but also training the astronauts in medical procedures, for example. And of course, we are there to support them in the quarantine phase right before launch. And of course, we're also there at the landing site right when they come out of the capsule and help and support them uh, through the rehabilitation phase after a space flight. So that is really the mission support phase. On top of that, uh, of course, if you're not assigned to a mission, we are really working for the future, thinking space exploration missions to the moon or even beyond. Um, so we're also preparing for that to see what medical capabilities are needed, what challenges lay ahead, and how do we, how do we tackle that on the, 
on the medical front. The next phase, going beyond beyond. <laughs> yes. So with Luca, you're the prime flight surgeon for his mission, I understand, but there must be a few of you because it seems like there are a few jobs to do. Exactly. So usually we're a team of two flight surgeons and then we have a whole support team uh, in our uh, medical office. Uh, we have our biomedical engineers. We have the Eurocoms uh, that communicate with our astronauts on a daily basis. And of course, we have a team of a physiotherapist, exercise specialist, psychologist. So there's really a team uh, effort uh, to support the mission. And I basically am the prime point of contact for Luca on the medical front during the mission. So now, right now, when he's in space and also during his rehabilitation uh, phase. Yeah, so um, we actually had quite a few good blog posts from Adrianus when he was at the launch. So if anybody wants to find out more about what happens during the launch, they can go to Luca's blog. Um, but can you tell us a bit about, we've touched upon going to the moon and further, but what are the challenges right now when returning an astronaut to Earth or dealing with astronauts on station? Obviously, one of the main factors the body is affected by in space is the exposure to microgravity. Mm -hmm. So humans... Um, are used to or have adapted to a 1G environment here on Earth. And you see when you expose them to no gravity at all, uh, we start to lose certain tissue, mainly muscle and bone, because you don't need basically a lot of muscle and bone because moving around in space is effortless. You have to not fight against any force of gravity. So in order to counteract that, of course, we have countermeasures in place. And a major part of that countermeasure is, of course, exercise. So our astronauts exercise, get about two hours slots per day to perform exercise uh, on different devices to at least try to not lose too much muscle and too much bone mass. But we're still not completely there yet. It doesn't mean that they're coming back without any loss, but we're seeing a reduction in the loss, uh, which is good. But still, you see that when they come to Earth, they need to train up certain muscles more than others. And the bone loss is another concern because once you lose bone, you it's you don't get it back. We're also and looking... Is that's yes. something dealt with through exercise as well, or is that exercise and yeah, diet? Yes, so if you... you are able to put force on bone, mm -hmm. that helps prevent bone loss. Basically, if you're not loading the bone, it's it dissolves, basically. So mm -hmm. uh, the more you can load it, the less you lose. And for example, we have a treadmill in space station, mm -hmm. and the way the astronauts run on a treadmill is with a harness, and the harness is with a bungee mm -hmm. that pulls them down, and they can actually pull it down to simulate like 80% of their body weight, for example. And this gives them a form of loading, mm -hmm. uh, which, is, which is good for both muscle and the bone to some extent. Okay, so in our last episode, we spoke to Nora, who's an exercise specialist here, exercise team lead, about the countermeasures, how they combat bone and muscle loss so that the astronauts are coming back as, as strong as possible. But what are some of the other challenges, uh, medical challenges, when it comes to returning an astronaut to Earth? Yeah, so that's a good question. So 
it's good to think about the immediate post-flight phase. So right when they come out of the capsule, astronauts can look a little bit pale. This is usually due to problems with their blood pressure and that has different causes. One of the things is if you have no exposure to gravity, um, basically your blood vessels don't need to pump and your heart doesn't need to pump as hard as when you're on Earth, especially when you're standing up on Earth. It takes a little bit of effort from your body to push the blood towards the head and to make sure that your brain gets enough blood and with that oxygen and nutrients. When you're in space and you have no exposure to gravity, the blood vessels and the heart are less challenged. Let's say it that way. And it's very difficult to find good countermeasures for this. There are some options, but we are not completely there yet. So when they come back to Earth, you see that they uh, struggle a bit with low blood pressure and it takes some time to adjust back to the 1G environment, basically. Um, one thing the astronauts can do is preload with salt and fluids. So that's what we usually recommend them to do. But when you're sitting in a Soyuz capsule that's ah. re-entering <laughs> into the Earth's atmosphere, it gets very hot. So basically, when they come down, they're usually a little bit dehydrated. Mm -hmm. um, and that is an easy fix, so to say, we can give them fluids. Another major problem which a lot of the astronauts struggle with, or basically all astronauts struggle with, is the vestibular system. So this is the system that's basically in your inner ear that helps you keep your balance. This is another system that is not really challenged or not really used anymore when you're in a zero-g environment. It's there's just, no up or down. Or there is no up or down anymore. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you see that when they go to space, it takes a little bit of adjusting. You can see um, in quite some of the astronauts that they have some form of space motion sickness adjusting to zero g mm -hmm. and of course the reverse happens when they come back to earth when then all of a sudden there is an up and down and once they start moving their head it can feel very awkward and it can create sensations of dizziness and nausea so there's a medical tent on site and the astronauts land and you take vital signs but can you just give us a little bit more insight into landing day, what happens for the space medicine team, both at the site, like you were with Alex, and back here in Cologne, Germany? Last year in December, when I was supporting the landing of Alex Gers, it was the first time for me, so it was very exciting. And of course, you are in a remote area, traveling with um, basically military Russian helicopters. I think we were nine helicopters you're quite excited because it's it's a dangerous phase of the flight. I mean, the re-entry is always kind of exciting, right? Because they come in high speed and there are a lot of things that can potentially go wrong. So you kind of have to be ready for any kind of scenario. And of course, we hope for the best scenario that uh, the re-entry is nominal and the chutes uh, deploy normally and it's a relatively soft landing. But even though it's a soft landing, it's still a small car crash just yeah. <laughs> to realize you how what forces there are on impact. So um, so you're you're flying in the helicopter and you're looking out the window. It's kind of like a exciting game almost. Everybody's looking out the window. Who can spot the, the Soyuz coming down the first? And 
also we have the radio on because obviously when they re-enter, there's a lot of static and we cannot communicate with the crew. Mm -hmm. So there is a small phase where there is no communication whatsoever. And it is just goosebumping experience when you hear their voices on the radio and you're like, okay, they're good. You know that they survived the most critical phase of the re-entry and you know that they're good. And then it's a challenge to find them because, of course, the landing zone, it's not like a very small zone. It's quite a big zone. And so we kind of have to search them. And of course, all the helicopters want to get there first, Mm -hmm. especially the media (laughs) helicopter, because they want to get a good shot and a good angle. (laughs) So I think we were about the third or the fourth helo to land. And and yeah, it's amazing. You can see the Soyuz around it is like this because there was it was snowy and it was a winter landing. You see that the snow is just melted away around it and it's kind of blackened and you get out of the helo, you grab your medical bag and you just want to run. But like the snow is like, I don't know, knee high. So it's quite impossible to run so you just have to pace yourself (laughs) and you get close and it takes some time before they have everything installed so the the russian teams they they make sure that they can they will open the capsule and and help the astronauts uh, exit the soyuz capsule but you're standing there and then you're like oh my god this smell and that is really you don't think about that but it just i don't i cannot describe it. it smells like something burnt which did but it's it's a very weird chemical burning smell and you're like okay yeah this thing just dropped out of space okay i'm here i'm here and it just (laughs) dropped out of space yeah and these people were just uh you know 400 kilometers uh up in the air uh six months so uh (laughs) yeah and now they're here yeah and it's it's really nice to see their faces and i think it's a mutual experience for them it's really nice to see some new faces and uh, I and familiar yeah, faces, I imagine. Familiar for Alex faces. Be like, okay, it's Maybe Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a mutual thing. And then also, it's it's for them. I asked Alex, so what was so you know what is nice? Yeah, and it's like the fresh air, the fresh mm-hmm. air. Yeah, that is, I guess, also the first thing that they are like. Oh yeah, this back to earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from there, what happens? What do you do on site and? Yeah, so basically the first part, um, we help them get out of the capsule. We move them quite quickly to the medical tent. And then we do a more extensive medical exam and start a treatment if needed. Even some of the science tests are already done in the medical tent. So very early data collections for science. And then, of course, we try to move them back into the helicopters as soon as possible and then transport them back to an airfield where there is an aircraft on standby to transport them and the flight surgeons back to the home base. That's usually a time when they can take a break and take a rest on the plane because, of course, they've been usually up for maybe 24 hours or so Mm, on a landing day. So it's a long day, and it's physically exhausting because they have to get used to the 1G environment. Usually we, we use the flight as well as a, a as a rest phase for the astronauts so that they just can take a break and regain some of their strength before. Yeah. yeah. I remember talking to Alex just after he'd landed last year and uh, him saying how long it had been since he'd 
change clothes or I had a wash and uh, yeah. thought, oh my gosh, yes, yeah. this is a big day. And obviously everyone wants to see them as well. And I understand that's something that you have to carefully manage from a medical perspective because you can't have people who have had colds or are feeling unwell coming into contact with these astronauts. Why is that? Is the immune system affected or what's the situation? Yes. Yeah, so what we know from research on the space station where they have looked at blood cells of astronauts, compared them with um, people on the ground, is that we see that some of the uh, white blood cells or functions of the blood cells are reduced uh, in space. Okay. Now, this can we're not exactly sure what is causing this, if it's the microgravity, radiation, um, just being in a basically a, a stressful environment in that sense that you're very remote, maybe all of the above. Mm-hmm. So once Luke is back and that huge landing day has kind of come to an end um, and he's, you know, feeling fairly fit and healthy for someone who's just come back from space, are there any restrictions or things that need to be watched or taken care of over the next weeks from there? Yes, so the first three weeks after landing, more or less, are quite intense in a way that we do focus a lot on rehabilitation together with our exercise specialist and physiotherapist. Obviously, there's a lot of scientists that are very curious to see how the astronaut is doing right after landing. So obviously, it's really packed with a lot of science experiments as well. And then the medical part is basically a lot of checks on his health status. And one of the things, for example, that the astronauts are not allowed to do is drive a car. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's basically because of the vestibular system that needs some time to readapt. So for example, if you would drive a car and you need to look over your shoulder, that can cause some sensations of dizziness. And also you might not exactly be able to interpret speed uh, in the same way, mm-hmm. um, stuff like that. So we usually arrange a uh, thorough neurological assessment somewhere in the second week. And if they pass that, then they're clear to to drive again. We can hit the road again. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Well, we're really looking forward to seeing Luca back on Earth and hope that he has a safe and healthy landing. Uh, knowing Luca and how professional he is and how much a sports enthusiast he is. He's done exceptionally well with his countermeasures exercises. So I'm really looking forward to see how he does uh, when he returns and uh, also just looking forward to see him in person again and working with him on the ground. Fantastic. Thanks, Maybrit, for coming in and talking us through the space medicine side of returning to Earth today. It's very interesting what you do. Yeah, my pleasure. When Maybert was talking about searching for the landing site by helicopter and the smell of the Soyuz capsule freshly back from space, it felt like I was right there with her. I can only imagine what it must be like to emerge from that capsule and soak in the smells, sights and sounds after six months in space, especially in such a unique place as the Kazakh steppe. I know it must be surreal and a very long day, but no doubt Luca will be happy to be back with his family and friends. And with a team of people like Maybrit around him, we know he'll be well taken care of. All going well, when we release our next episode, Luca will be back in Cologne, Germany. Until then, we want to hear what you'd like to ask Luca about his time in space. If you have a question that you'd like us to put to Luca, tweet it to at ESAspaceflight using the hashtag ESAexplorers, or email your questions to esaexplorers at esa.int. 
Until then, you can learn more about Luca and his Beyond mission at lucaparmitano.isa.int. And of course, hit that subscribe button to stay up to date. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more ESA Explorers.